Welcome to the All Nations Aurora podcast, where you will find family, discover purpose, and change the world. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will speak directly to your life through this message. We are um, in part two of a series that we have entitled The Honor Roll. The Honor Roll. And we spelled it R-O-L-E to signify the fact that the characteristic of honor plays a role in so many different areas of our life. And if we don't start to take it a little more serious, we miss some benefits that come along with being a citizen of the kingdom of God. Because what we have to let manifest and resonate within ourselves is the fact that honor is the currency of the kingdom of God. Honor is how you transact in the kingdom of God. Honor is how you evaluate where you are in relation to the kingdom of God because how much honor you have stored up gives you the ability to move and groove within the kingdom of God because it causes everything around us to elevate. When we decide to move in honor, And every week uh, of this series, we're going to hand out an honor key just so that you can have something to dwell on all week long. And this week's key that, that you need to hold on to really tightly is the fact that honor garners the approval of God. Honor garners the approval of God. For a lot of us, unfortunately, our relationship with God is transactional. We ask him for stuff and hope that we get it. <laughs> Asking you shall receive, Pastor. I get it. I know. Thank you for reading that verse. But there's a lot more. <laughs> and what, what God desires is a relationship with you. <laughs> he doesn't just want your requests. He wants those, but not just those. He wants your heart. He wants your life. He wants you to lay down your life in the same way that he sent his son to lay down his. And so we don't just want a yes from God. We should desire an approval from God. Yes and approval are two different things. Because you can say yes to something or someone can say yes to you about something and that's the end of it. It's a one-off. But when you have somebody's approval, you can carry approval with you from room to room, from situation to situation, and from season to season because you have been approved. And that's what honor brings to your life when you decide to operate in it. Now, here's the disclaimer. Here's the danger. Here's where honor goes wrong, especially in the church. We let honor take up residence in our brains and not our hearts. And so we try to use our intellect to be honorable. And so we try to find rules and regulations about honor and we try to do it instead of being it. You try to do honor instead of being honorable. 
Did you know that your Bible doesn't mention your brain one time? Doesn't talk about your head one time? But it talks about your heart 833 times. Because your heart is where this needs to take root. In order for this to be the kingdom version, it has to take place in your heart, not necessarily your head. Remember, we talked about last week that God searches the intentions of the heart. Man looks at the outside. So you have honorable, an honorable outfit on. We call that modesty. Thumbs up. But is your heart honorable? Maybe you show up and, and you volunteer external honor. Great. Keep it up. But are you serving with an honorable heart? Because God is looking right past what's happening on the outside to peer into your heart. That's where the Holy Spirit resides. Did you know that? So you may be doing all the things. But what's the motivation behind the things that you're doing? That's what God wants to know. That's what God wants you to evaluate and assess as we move through this discussion about honor. Honor. It's an interesting word. It works in the sacred as well as it works in the secular. Matter of fact, uh, story goes June uh, 2019, a gentleman named Craig Brooks. He is a guest services employee at a Holiday Inn Express in um, Austin, Texas. True story. And one day during his shift, a woman called trying to book a room. And um, this particular hotel, they don't, they don't book the rooms that way. They have an automated service that books the rooms. And so he directed her, transferred her to the automated line so that she could follow the prompts to book her room. Well, for whatever reason, she was having trouble making it work. And so she called back a second time and he retransferred her and let her know that, you know, do this, do that, um, and it should work. It didn't work, I guess. And so she called back a third time. By this time, she's pretty agitated. And so she starts verbalizing her agitation towards the employee, Craig. While she's verbalizing her frustration, she lets Craig know, listen, my mom just passed away and I need a hotel room because I have to come in town and handle X, Y, and Z. And he responds, yes, ma'am, I understand, but you don't have to be so rude about it. I'm willing to help. And so he starts to write down her information so that he could manually get her a room. And so after he takes down all the information, um, he says, is there anything else I can do for you? And he hears like this long pause. And so it appears that the woman thought that Craig was no longer on the phone because her husband started uh, talking to her, asking her like for an update. And so the woman on the phone yells, this racial slur, insert racial slur. Because the woman is Caucasian and Craig is African-American. But he hears it. And then he hears a sudden click. 
when Craig says, what did you say? Click. So Craig, he calls upper management because he doesn't want to play this wrong. He tells upper management what happened and he asks, what should I do? And upper management says, we have a zero tolerance policy when it comes to racism. You have our approval to reject her stay. But he already wrote everything down and she is already under the impression that she can come, so she comes. And as she's walking in the door, he knew, that he knew this was gonna be tense. So he turns on his phone to record. And that's when we get to peer into the conversation. And as she comes to the desk, he says, um, we have a zero tolerance policy for racism and you called me a racial slur, therefore um, our hotel has rejected your stay. She apologized. She said she was dealing with a lot. Um, can you please uh, let me stay? And the line, the response that he gave was heard around the world. He said, sorry, it's above me now. And so she was devastated. She tried to get a hotel, she tried to take care. And so they, they, they send, the husband comes down and tries to reason and, sorry, I understand, but it's above me now. Then, then the, the kids come, can you please forgive my mom and, and, and you know, we're, uh, sorry, it's above me now. They made a decision and it's out of my hands. Where did he get them guts from? Where did he get the poise from? What happened was he was empowered through the honor that he attached himself to. He didn't have the authority within himself to have that stance. He didn't have the authority within himself to make that type of decision but once he latched on to an entity that was more powerful than him, he became empowered. His life gained authority because it was above him now. It's out of my hands. And the reason we tend to struggle with being honorable in our hearts is because we're trying to operate in an authority that's only at our level. We're trying to move in honor with a power source that isn't strong enough. And so we have to be intentional. If we are going to be people of honor, we have to realize that we move in honor because we're moving in honor for something bigger than ourselves. We have to realize that the reason we become honorable people, honorable people is because it's above us now. So that's the title of today's message. It's above me now. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're, you're here. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to doubt. We know for a fact that your presence is here because we feel you. Thank you. 
Thank you for your presence on today. Thank you for your word that is coming forth. Thank you that you're so concerned about us that you woke us up this morning in our right mind, gave us the activity of our limbs, gave us the transportation and the means to get here, and here we sit in your presence. Lord, thank you. Communicate to us in such a way that will make it impossible for us to stay the same. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, it's above me now. If you want to be an honorable person, you got to start moving in honor because it's not just about you. It's about the kingdom that you said that you submit and surrender to. And how do we, how do we take that, that understanding, and how do we walk that out? I'm going to just give you five quick thoughts, and then we'll go home. Because if you want to be a person of honor, there's some things that you're going to have to do. But remember, you can't do it just to do it. Your why has to be because of the kingdom that you are a part of, which is the kingdom of God. And when you attach your honor to the kingdom of God, and that becomes your why, it brings the approval of God to your life. It brings an authority to your life that you didn't have before. It empowers you to do things that people are wondering, how did you do that? How did you keep your calm? How did you remain faithful? How have you become so consistent? Well, it's because it's above me now. I think we can find an example of this in the book of Nehemiah. For those of you who don't know the story of Nehemiah, at this time, the city of Jerusalem is destroyed, war-torn. And the children of Israel are spread all throughout the lands. They're in this country and that country because the holy city has been destroyed and Nehemiah is one of these people. But Nehemiah, he's, he's fared pretty well in the aftermath. He is the king's cupbearer. Now, I know that doesn't sound fancy, but that's the C-suite of this era. He's doing well. He's from the hood, but he made it out. Went, got his degree. You know, affirmative action. And then he came in, got that first entry-level job, worked his way up. Those good old DE&I programs. And he was able, despite where he came from, to ascend to the C-suite of corporate America. It's not America, but you get what I'm saying. But the Lord put a burden in his heart for his hometown. You know, because when we make it out, we forget where we came from. But Nehemiah had this burden from God, like, man, we need to go and rebuild. And he asked permission, he got permission to go back, and he started a campaign through Nehemiah chapters 1 and through chapter 6. He gathered the, the, the uh, remnant 
of the children of Israel, and they rebuilt the entire wall that was destroyed. So it became a, a revitalization project. And the first phase was successful, but in, in Nehemiah chapter 7, they took a census and they realized a really big problem. Although they had rebuilt the wall, there were no people there. There were no, not enough citizens in the land to make the city viable again. And not only were there not enough people, but although the wall was rebuilt, the houses, they were still in disarray from all of the the wars that took place over the years. And so they still had to figure out how do we bring life back to this city? And then the next several chapters, chapters 8, 9, and 10, you find that there was a revival that took place. So people were coming to experience God, but they weren't necessarily taking up residence. Y'all know, those are the people that come to church and just leave after the service is over. They don't take up time to do life with anybody. They came, got their Holy Ghost fixed, and got back in their cars and went home. And so they're trying to figure out, how do we make all of this work? We rebuilt the wall. People are coming to experience God, but how do we now make this holy city alive again? Because you got to remember that the reason... It's called Jerusalem, the holy city, is because God declared it to be so. So they felt this responsibility, like this is God's holy city. We can't leave it like this. And so that's where we find ourselves as we show up at Nehemiah chapter 11. The wall has been rebuilt. The church in Jerusalem is blowing up. You know, it was a church plant, and everybody's starting to get the word. But the problem is, people aren't staying. People aren't settling. And so it took a group of individuals to see that their lives were attached to something bigger than themselves. That there was a mission that they needed to walk out that was bigger than their little sphere of influence. And so they had to make some internal decisions within themselves because they wanted to attach their lives to something bigger that belonged to God. They wanted God to be pleased and they wanted to do their part in the process. And I think that we can take some lessons from the steps that they took in their life and we can put it in our life and we can reap the same harvest that they reaped in their day. And so let's talk about a few things that need to happen if you want to be a person of honor. Number one, if you want to be a person of honor, you have to lead by example. A lot of times when we are dealing with God or when we're dealing with, with our faith and our journey and our discipleship process, we want discipleship to happen to us. We don't want to pursue it. We sit in our chairs and we wait for the Holy Ghost to drop something on us that changes us, which is the complete opposite of what the Bible tells us to do. 
Remember when Jesus told you to pick up your cross? He didn't say, here, let me throw this cross on your back. Walk that way. He told you to pick it up. Because you have to lead by example. Now, you may be saying, I'm not a leader. You know, I'm not a pastor. You know, I don't sing. You know, I'm just me. You know, I, here, here's what we say. Here's what we say. Y'all, let me know if y'all, if, y'all, if y'all heard this before. You know, um, God uses me in the background. That's a cop-out for so many of y'all. That's where it's comfortable for you. That's where it's easy for you. You love the back row. No shade to the people in the back row right now. But you love to be out of sight and out of mind because you're a consumerist. You're not a contributor. Let's look at the very first verse, bless you, in Nehemiah 11. It says the leaders of the people were living in Jerusalem, the holy city. So the only people that was there that was willing to come to this war-torn city that was once glorious are the leaders. Because if you're a leader, number one characteristic is you have to lead by example. You can't talk a talk that you're not willing to walk. And so you might be saying, well, preacher, that's easy for you. You got a microphone. (laughs) But you know, (laughs) Felicia, you you know... (laughs) But do you know that as a child of God, you are automatically a leader in this dark, cold world that we live in? Why do you think he calls you a light? (laughs) Because they, the dark, can't get to where they need to get to without your presence, leader. And so if you're going to be a leader, because we're talking about the kingdom of God right now, we're not talking about this church that we're sitting in. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And every last one of us that named the name of Jesus Christ is a leader. Because the only reason that God deposited his spirit inside of you is so that you could be an example to someone else, which makes you a leader, which means that your life has to become an example. And sometimes that means doing the hard stuff first, as an example. Everybody wants to be a trailblazer till you got to pick up that shovel. (laughs) It's time to dig. It's time to work. It's time to be sacrificial. As a leader, you got to pick up the shovel first. As a leader, you got to make that first scoop. And show people the way to go and the how to do it. And every last one of us bear that responsibility. You're a light at your job. You're a light at your school. You're a light at the family picnic. You are a light everywhere you go. And that means that your life has to be something that people can look at and want to become. 
We, 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 we get this from the Apostle Paul when he was talking to, to some Christians uh, uh, and trying to encourage them and trying to let them know who they were and how they're supposed to operate. He was talking to the church at Corinth, and he was giving an example of how he moves so that they could move similarly. Because every last one of us have a part to play. It requires honor in our hearts and a realization that it's above us. And that's why we're moving in this authority, and that's why we're becoming this example. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, you should imitate me as I imitate him. Did you catch that? You should imitate me, meaning that you should look at what I'm doing and you should do that. Not listen to what I'm saying, because we can talk a good game, can't we? We can be super articulate, can't we? If you're in church long enough, you can pick up some phrases and some cliches, can't we? What does your life say? <laughs> if we turn the volume up on your life, what would we see? Would we see something that we could imitate that imitates God? Or through closer inspection, are we going to see you imitating this culture? You're, you're, you're a leader and you have a responsibility. This faith that we surrender to ain't for, for play play. <laughs> like Jesus ain't about no cotton candy walk. He got beat beyond recognition. Voluntarily. Because this ain't no game. We got to stop playing games. We're citizens of a kingdom. We're not members of a church. I don't play them little church games that people play. <laughs> This church versus that church. This preacher versus that preacher. My preacher, your preacher. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. And if you're a citizen of the kingdom of God at that church or that church or that denomination or that denomination, we're on the same team. Because it's above me. The moves that you have to make, the sacrifices that you have to endure, is because it's above you. Stop playing with the king. Because he's a king. You have to be willing to set an example for others to follow. That doesn't mean you're perfect, because none of us are. But there is an intentionality right back here in our heart where we are striving to be that light. We're not just reading about being a light. We're not just reading about being salt. We're doing our best to exemplify it. We won't do it perfectly, never, ever, till we get to glory. But we are really trying. I'm really trying to not look like the culture. 
I really am. Because if I look just like them, they can't see Jesus. There has to be some type of light, even if it ain't all the way bright yet, even if it's a flicker, they should see the light. Not just in my social media posts, but in my actual real life decisions, in my actual real life conversations, in my actual real life text messages. There should be some light in them. Because it's above me now. So if you want to be a person of honor, you have to have a willingness in your heart to lead by example. Number two, you have to commit to seeking God's will. That's way harder than it sounds. <laughs> right? Because, oh yeah, I want God's will until you hear it. Hmm. Until it's the opposite of what you want to do. <laughs> but if honor, if honor is the goal, I want to know his will. I don't want to make a move without consulting him. I don't want to make not nan decision that he's not involved in. Because as a person of honor, I realize this life that I'm living is above me. I can't just do what I want to do. I'm sorry, you're in the wrong church if you want that message. But here we believe the Bible and the Bible tells us that we were bought with a price. That means if somebody purchased or paid a price for us, there is a possession involved. Anything that you bought, you got. So if you surrendered, you became his. And if you're his, he's got a plan for you. But his plan involves his will. And if you're moving outside of his will, you're no longer have his approval. But seeking his will is something that is uh, purposeful. Seeking his will is something that is intentional. It's not accidental. Come on, a Pentecostal. <laughs> I know you want to get the word of the Lord from the man of God, the woman of God. <laughs> nothing wrong with it wife is a whole prophet I'll tell you something if the Lord tell me God, we, we, we believe in the gifts here <laughs> but he got like thousands of words in his bible already printed but you won't read it because you don't really want to know his will you just want the parts that feel good you just want the parts that seem like you can do it but if everything God called you to do, you can do without him, why would you need him? That's why you ain't started that business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's uncomfortable. That's why you ain't joined that life group. Mm-hmm. Because you don't want nobody in your business. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. I'm not listening to Felicia no more. I'm coming over here. I'm come over here so I can focus. <laughs> but when you are intentional about seeking God's will, you will find it. And that's also a reason why we hesitate. Because we know if we ask, 
He's going to answer. And when he answers, we become accountable. And nobody likes accountability. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it, how we want to do it. Well, who we want to do it to? Now I got to remind you who you are. I'm a child of God. I could not do anything I want to do as a kid because my last name was McNeely. We, I grew up in a big old church, but here's the problem. Half the church knew my mama. The other half knew my dad. Ain't you Leroy's boy? Like, no, no, no. <laughs> because there was a standard being their child. And not only was there a standard, but there was a bunch of accountability all around the house, making sure that I lived up to it. We have to constantly seek his will so that we know the proper direction to go. Let's look at this in Nehemiah again. Chapter 11, I'm doing verses 1 and 2 this time. The leaders of the people were living in Jerusalem, the holy city. A tenth of the people from the other towns of Judah and Benjamin were chosen by sacred lots to live there too, while the rest stayed where they were. And the people commended everyone who volunteered to resettle in Jerusalem. So they rolled dice to figure out who was gonna go move into the hood. That's the McNeely translation. <clears throat> shake them up, shake them up, shake them up, shake but here's the thing, to be theologically correct, okay? The lots that they threw were sacred. This was a sacred process because they had the firm belief that they threw the lots, but that God determined where they landed. So they took the outcome very serious. They weren't playing a game in the alley. This was their way of hearing the will of God. And so that's how this super important decision was made. You saw it again in the book of Acts because after Jesus was arrested, you remember, Judas took his life. And so after Jesus died and was resurrected and, and, and went on a revival after he was resurrected and, and went back to, to heaven, uh, the 11 remaining disciples said, we need a 12. And so they cast lots because they had two finalists that they came up with, but they didn't want to make the final decision. They wanted God to make the final decision. So they had these two candidates, they cast a lot, and it landed on Matthias, and that's how it was determined that he would be the new 12th man of the crew. And they didn't deter from the outcome of God's will. They didn't second guess the outcome of God's will. When God's will was made known, they followed 
the will of God. And the reason it's so quiet is because God right now is reminding you of what he told you to do last. And you're being convicted because you have not yet done it. But you got to know that if you want to be a person of honor, you, my dear brother, my dear sister, must seek the will of God, which leads us to number three. A person of honor obeys his commands. Uh-oh. So you're real good at talking to God. Oh, yeah. You be praying and stuff. Mm-hmm. You be, you, be, you be listening to him and stuff. And some of you journal it down, got it written. Huh? You know exactly what little notebook to go pick up. It's dated, highlighted. But you ain't did a darn thing. It's just sitting there, all color-coded. Got a whole six-month plan. He gave you details. He gave you color schemes. He gave you mission statements. But you ain't did nothing with it. Because you're trying to be honorable in your own strength. If you realized, if you realized the kingdom agenda that you are a part of, you would move a little differently. Honor would show up and flow through you a little differently if you realized that it's above you now. If you realized that you are not your own, if you realize that he values you. There's the issue. Come on, let's talk about this rejection. Let's talk about this rejection that's keeping you from doing what he told you to do. I want you to know that it's understandable. I know I'm being tough and apostolic with this message today because I have to, but I want you to know that it's understandable why that fear of rejection has paralyzed you so. Did you know that scientifically speaking, that when you experience rejection, your brain feels the same thing it feels when you are physically in pain? It's a real thing that you feel at just the thought, at just the maybe, at just the possibility of experiencing rejection. <laughs> it's understandable but it's not okay. Because anything that God tells you to do is not a suggestion. It's a part of a plan. And one or two things are gonna happen when you don't execute your part of the plan. You'll either get some grace or you will get moved out the way. The kingdom agenda ain't going to stop just because you hard-headed. Now, I don't know which way it's going to go. That's between you and him. But I know that the God I serve still speaks. And the God I serve has spoken to you 
And the God I serve, when he speaks, he says his word does not return void. (laughs) Therefore, if I were you, I would start to let my honor be linked to the kingdom of God and not to my opinions, not to my feelings, and absolutely don't link it to your personality. I'm an introvert. I'm an extrovert. I ain't got no vert. got Bert. We all got some Bert. But how do we see this? Again, the lots were cast, God's will was determined, and the people who the lot landed on moved into the city. The problem is you haven't moved. You've received the instruction but you have not moved. God told you this was your church, but you still visited. God told you to take that promotion, but you still unsure because of why rejection is holding you back. Can I say one more? God told you to leave them. That rejection, that fear, that fear of the unknown has caused you to stay. It's caused you to suffer. Has caused you to be stifled. Because you heard, but you didn't move. And when you hear, you don't move, you become out of position. No, no, hear me. You can stand still and be out of position. We think that getting out of position requires movement. Uh Uh-uh. Because he moved. You didn't move with him. So you standing still put you out of position. So be sure, my brothers and my sisters, that you walk in obedience. Here's a thought I want to give you. Uncomfortable disobedience is better than comfortable disobedience. I promise you. You're sitting inside of my uncomfortable obedience. Is that too real for y'all? Me and my wife was doing our own thing, not thinking about starting nobody's church. But God said, this is your new assignment. And I had to do it uncomfortably. My wife had to do it uncomfortably. Because uncomfortable obedience is a million times better than comfortable disobedience. I'm a living witness. 
everybody keeps asking us, like, yo, tell me, how is it? How's it going? Especially people from our, from, our, from our business world. Like, yo, bro, like, how are you? I tell, and this is what I tell them. I say it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do and the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. Because uncomfortable obedience is way better than comfortable disobedience. I'd much rather be uncomfortable inside the will of God than comfortable inside the will of the devil. Can I just say it like that? It's only two ways. It's only two lanes you're running down. His will or his will. Here's a secret. Chico, your will more resembles the devil's will. Why? Because you were born shaped in sin and iniquity. So you don't have to wait to be comfortable to obey the will of God because it may never come. Can you name somebody he called in that Bible of yours that was comfortable with the call? Can you give me one? I'll take it, just one. Can you point to one person in the Bible that God called in the perfect circumstances where everything made so much, oh, God, you know, yeah, Lord, yeah, that makes total sense that you want me to go deliver three million people from Pharaoh. That makes total sense, dude. Thank, thank you. I'm ready. Let's go. It makes total sense that they had to go get David from the sheep, pass up all the sons to get to the youngest, the illegitimate little boy. The oops, baby. Say, oh, yeah, you're the next king. Makes total sense. Thank you, Samuel. Makes total sense. Have you seen the 12 disciples? Have you seen their resume? I want none of them going to church. They were sometimey, you know. They go hear John the Baptist sometimes, but then, you know, they, they was on their fishing boat. They was at the tax booth. They was at work. They wasn't at church. Jesus ain't recruit one preacher. Not one. But you sitting there waiting on the right circumstances. You waiting to feel good about what God called you to do. You waiting for the right cosign, and that's going to, oh, and that's how I know God is it. No, he's in it because he said it. Did you pray? Did he answer? What else do you need? So we can't just stop at seeking his will. If we're going to live in honor, we have to obey what he tells us to do. Are y'all okay? Okay, next one. Take a deep breath, let it out. People of honor commit to building God's house. Yeah, I know, I know that's tough. Can I show it to you in the scriptures? Okay, okay, we're gonna read through this real quick, okay? This is the same chapter, Nehemiah 11. I'm gonna go 10, uh, 11, 12, and then uh, 16 and 17. From the priests, this is gonna make sense in a second. Jedediah, son of Jorib, Jachin, 
And Sariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Mishalam, son of Zadok, son of Marioth, son of Hattub, the supervisor of the temple of God. So we got the priest, we got the supervisor of the temple of God. Also, 822 of their associates, verse 12, who worked at the temple. Also, Adiah, son of Jeroam, son of Peliah, son of Amzai, son of Zechariah, son of pa- uh, Pashur, son of Malchijah. Now I'm going to go to 16. Also, Shabbatai and Josabad, who were in charge of the work outside the temple of God. Verse 17, also Mataniah, son of Micah, son of Zabdi, a descendant of Asaph, who led in thanksgiving and prayer. Also, Bakbukiah, who was Mataniah's assistant, and Abda, son of Shemaiah, son of Galal, son of Judathon. They had jobs and roles and parts that they played in the building of God's house. What's yours? Because everybody had one. What's your role? Have you asked God? Did you know that you have a role? Did you know it's not just for communicators? That all of us have a part to play? Did you know that? So if you're currently unemployed in the kingdom, you're out of position. Now, I don't want to act like everybody's called to vocational ministry. Most people are not. What are you on your job when it comes to the kingdom of God? Maybe that is your mission field, but are you on mission? At the school you work at, at the post office, at the construction site, at at the medical office, in the courtroom, On the bus. Are you on mission? Oh, let me bring it back. In your home office, because we're in remote society. I want to let y'all off the hook. On Zoom. Huh? Are you on mission? Are you at work for the kingdom? This is what we do. We put put our lives in boxes. We We got our church box. We got our work box. We got our family box, and we, we show up in these different boxes at different times when it's all a part of the kingdom agenda. Your degree was a part of the kingdom agenda. Your certification was part of the kingdom agenda. Your ordination was part of the kingdom agenda. Are you on mission? Are you at work for the kingdom of God wherever he sends you? You know the answer to that. But you got to know that all of us have a part to play. Stop thinking it's just for musicians or preachers or evangelists or prophets. You know, we got to add a little uh when we say those titles. <laughs> Pastor. No, it's parking lot attendants too. It's people that hand out coffee, too. It's people that smile and wave and say, welcome, too. It's people that serve the next generation in children's church, too. It's people that clean the bathrooms, too. It's people that pick up the trash that they see, too, because they realize it's bigger than them. 
But not only is it bigger than them, but they are part of this. Do you feel a part of this? This kingdom that we all say that we're a part of. I mean, we say we're a part of it, but when we look, when we do an assessment of what we've done, are we a part of it? Do we realize that we have a part to play? Nehemiah 10.39 says, the people and the Levites must bring their offerings of grain, new wine and olive oil to the storerooms and place them in the sacred containers near the ministering priests, the gatekeepers and the singers. Here's a quote that they said, we promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. This was the citizens of the country. This was not the elders of the church. This was everybody making a commitment saying that we will all play our part, whatever our part is, and making sure that the temple of God is taken care of. Where is that in your heart? Are you still on some like them preachers be doing stuff with the money? I don't need your money. Don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. You need to be a part of his kingdom agenda. So when we take offering and we return tithes, we're not doing it to check the box. We're not doing it to fatten our wallets. God takes care of me and my wife and my kids. But he has an agenda for this church. And if you're not playing your part financially, if you're not playing your part with your time and your energy and your gifts, you are out of position. Don't worry about me and her. We good because we in position. What position are you in? What position are you in? Are you in your rightful position? Did you know? Can I show you something in the Bible? Okay. Okay, okay. This is not even going to be on the screen. Okay, so you actually got to turn in your Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. We love talking about uh, 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 the spiritual gifts, don't we? Don't we love, no, 12, 1 Corinthians 12. We love talking about the gifts because they're pretty cool, right? When you see somebody like walk in the authority that, that, that God gave. But I want to point something to you. I just got to find it. Here it is, verse 7. Before they start outlining the different gifts, he wanted to talk to you about your heart when it comes to those gifts. And he says in verse 7 of chapter 12, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Like before I tell you what the gifts are, before I explain to you how they operate, there's something you need to know about these gifts. When you recognize them in your life, they're not for you. You have that gift and your neighbor has that gift and your other neighbor has that gift so that we can help each other. So your gift is not even your own. Some of y'all know how to sing, but you ain't singing. Some of y'all know how to play instruments, but you ain't playing. Some of y'all got the gifts of help, but you ain't said hi to nobody. Some of you got the gift of administration, ain't sent an email. You just sitting there holding your gift in your back pocket, which is the opposite of what the Bible says you're supposed to do with your gift. 
but it's because you're a consumer. You're not a contributor. It's because you're not operating in honor. I'm just telling you this to put you in position for what God is trying to do. And some of y'all are so confused, like, man, just, I just don't know why things ain't like, well, 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 how's your honor? How's your honor life? Are you honoring his kingdom with your gifts? Are you honoring his kingdom with your talent? Are you honoring his kingdom? Period. Like, what are you doing in regards to honoring the kingdom of God? Anything? Well, one thing that you have to do is make sure that you are committed to building God's house. That, that's that word commit is strong for a reason. It's not something you do every now and then. A commitment means you're consistent. You're consistently willing and able to play your part. You're not just showing up to church once every six weeks when you're committed to building God's house. You're not showing up to church on that one Sunday that you come right when the preacher get up. Not when you're committed to building God's house. You can't do nothing every Sunday, but consume if you're committed to building. Not just participating, but building. This is how honor becomes a part of who you are. <laughs> because you realize that, yo, this is above me. I can't just do this any other way, any old way. Because you don't show up to work any old way. So is your honor greater for your employer than your savior? Ah, that's too strong. Is that too strong? I'm just asking questions. When you got a doctor's appointment, you there 15 minutes early. Huh? Oh, don't get a summons for court. You're going to make sure you there. You ain't showing up to no Beyonce concert late. Even if she show up late, you there early. Why? Because you honor her more. You honor the bay hive more than you honor the kingdom. Y'all don't like this kind of teaching. Because it's the truth. <laughs> Here's something I want you to take with you. When you honor God's house... He'll honor yours. There's no way you can be consistently pouring into God's house and he not be consistently pouring into yours. We don't do it for that reason. But that is a harvest from the seed of being committed to building God's house. What are you doing with your gifts, your talents, and your abilities? Are you giving 100% of it to the world and zero of it to the kingdom? Is that your testimony right now? You should switch that. You should alter that. You should change that. You need to see how valuable you are to the kingdom. And I'll show it to you in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. 
So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Usually we just shout right there, but we, we got to keep reading. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. So even if you're on the dream team right now, even if you're already volunteering, don't show up here with no attitude. Because that's not kingdom. Leave it in the parking lot. You can pick it back up when you get back in the parking lot. But when you're working for the Lord, not me, not this church, when you're working for, because it's above you, right? It's not about this church. It's not about this preacher. It's about the kingdom. And when you're working for the Lord, the 10% of you all that are, make sure that you're doing it with enthusiasm, biblically speaking. So when the servant leaders put out the calendar, I'll be like, oh. I'm on this Sunday. You know what? Why don't you just go ahead and not be? Because we don't want that spirit representing us to people that are coming to this church. Stay home. But if you are on board, if you are operated and honored, then you're going to serve with enthusiasm. Like, what y'all need? What y'all need? What y'all need? I'm here. Come on. Let's go. It's for the kingdom. It's for the kingdom. It's for the kingdom. It's for the kingdom. When it's for the kingdom, you're... Your heart and your, your moves are different. I can't just sit up here and do nothing when it's about the kingdom. I can't sit up here and when it is time to do something, got an attitude when it's about the kingdom. I can't sit here and nickel and down the church when it's about the kingdom. Now, if it's about the church, then okay. But if it's about the kingdom, your heart's different. Your posture's different. The way you move is completely different. Y'all tired of me? I only got one more. I can see it in your face. Last one. Last one. There's one more thing. Just one more. If you're going to be a person of honor, if this is going to be your heart posture for the sake of the kingdom, um, people of honor, they serve with or without recognition. It's the toughest one, I know. That's why I put it at the end. He that, let a, he that have an ear, let him hear. When you are operating in honor, not in your flesh, when you're operating in honor, your service does not require a pat on the back, doesn't require stage presence, doesn't require a social media shout out. Why? I'm doing it for the kingdom. I'm not doing it for y'all. Y'all are going to benefit because I'm in my rightful position, but the reason, the why behind my service is the kingdom of God. Let me show you in the same, same story. Nehemiah 11. Listen, verse 6. There were 468 descendants of Perez who lived in Jerusalem, all outstanding men. From the tribe of Benjamin, uh, uh, skip down to uh, verse 8. After him were Gabai and Salai and a total of 928 relatives. Jump down to verse 12. Also 822 of their associates. If you're keeping math, 
That's 2,500 people who weren't named. They were just a number. But they worked. They served and they gave with the kingdom in mind. Not the kingdom on earth, but the kingdom of God in heaven because they realized that heaven keeps much better records than men do. But yet, hear this, even though their service was unto God and not for recognition, and even though we don't know their name, we know they were there. Thousands of years later, there they are. Their name isn't listed, but when it says 468, they're in there. (laughs) When it says 928, they're in there. And that was good enough. Is it good enough for you? Are you okay with using your gifts, your talents, your finances, your abilities to build the kingdom of God and nobody shouts you out? That's that's a hard thing. But it's the place where God provides approval. He looks at your heart so you can have perfect attendance and be disapproved because of what's in your heart. You can have perfect giving records and be disapproved because what's in your heart? What's in your heart when it comes to this honor thing? Are you, do you you have like this willingness to say, for the Lord I live and for the Lord I die. The last nugget I want to give you is that this is how you keep honor above you in your life. Honor is above you when honor is not about you. You keep it, you keep it right over you, over your life, no matter where you go. When it's not about you. We try to demonstrate it to you all. I don't know if you're catching it. (laughs) But we have never, from day one, made this church about us. We have always, since day one, made this church about him. And it's the reason he's touching it. It's the reason he's blessing it. It's the reason he's growing it. Because it's about him. That's, that's what kingdom honor looks like. And when you decide, not in your head, when you decide in your heart that my life will be a life of honor, the kingdom kind, You receive the approval of God. Here's your promise in Hebrews 6 and 10. For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you show for his name when you served the saints. 
and you continue to serve them. Nothing you do for the kingdom of God is wasted. Nothing you do for the kingdom of God goes unnoticed. Maybe man might overlook, maybe man might walk by, but the writer of Hebrews wants you to know that heaven ain't missed a thing that you have done for his kingdom. Let's stand. We have to get to this place. I don't want you to leave without understanding that. That you, much like that hotel employee, need to hitch your honor to something bigger than yourself. And what's that something? That's the kingdom of God. So in order to be a person of honor, you have to lead by example. That's number one. You have to commit to seeking God's will. That's number two. God, once you get it, though, you got to obey his commands. That's number three. Number four, you have to commit to building his house. That means you should serve. That means you should give. That means you should pray for. Even if you don't have time to serve, even if you don't have money to give, you absolutely can pray for us. And lastly, a person of honor, as they serve, they do it unto God. They don't do it for recognition. It's cool that they get it. It's cool that they don't because it's not about that whatsoever. Make it your goal to live a life of honor, but the only way to be consistent in doing that is to make the why behind your honor the sake of the kingdom of God. Realize and never forget that everything you do for his sake is above you. It's not about you. Thank you for joining us today. For more ways to stay connected, visit us at allnationsaurora.com. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening. Now go out and change the world.